and turn in your Bibles again to 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2 verses 18 through 29 and especially verses 20 and 27 and ye, the gospel writer speaking to Christ's people says, and ye have an anointing from the Holy One, and ye know all things. And verse 27, and as for you, the anointing which ye received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that anyone teach you. But as his anointing teacheth you concerning all things, and is true, and is no lie, and even as it taught you, ye abide in him. We have come to that section in the Catechism, which explains and articulates something of our belief, our confession in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Father's only begotten Son. And the exposition of that particular section of the Creed, as it comes in the Catechism, the exposition focuses initially on those very names that are ascribed to the Son of God incarnate, Jesus Christ. Jesus, his, we might say, personal name, which speaks of his calling as Savior, tells us what it is that he came into the world to accomplish. And his official title or dignity is Christ, a name which tells us how it is that he accomplishes his calling as Savior. The name Christ then speaks to his office, speaks to his office as mediator and his office of mediator, which he fulfills as prophet, priest, and king. But now the catechism, having given to us an explanation of this name Christ, this name meaning anointed, asks in question 31, but why are you called a Christian? Remember that a catechism is basic instruction in the Christian faith. And it rightfully then asks this question of those who are reading it, studying it, those who are seeking to understand these basic Christian truths. Why are you called a Christian? And the answer has everything to do with Christ and our relation to him. And it is clear that this answer points us in the direction of not only Christ's anointing, but the fact that we in some measure come to share in that anointing, come to receive 
or be, as the catechism puts it, a partaker of his anointing. Why are you called a Christian? Because through faith, I am a member of Jesus Christ and partaker of his anointing. The catechism goes on to flesh that out to some degree, but this is the basic answer. This is the simple, straightforward answer. We who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ are called Christians because through faith we are members of Christ and partakers of his anointing. He, the head, gives to his body and members of his body the blessings of his office, the benefits of his mediation, such that we are partakers of his anointing. And even the scriptures bear witness to this truth, teach this truth. John here in John chapter or first John chapter two tells us that we have an anointing. An anointing from Jesus Christ. We, as it were, share in his anointing. This same apostle is the one who tells us in John chapter 3 that our Lord's anointing was an anointing with the Holy Spirit above measure. He was anointed of the Father in his baptism with the Spirit according to his human nature. And we too now, as those who abide in him, those who are joined to him, united to him, we receive an anointing. And not just any anointing, his anointing. The anointing of Christ. We who by faith, are united to Christ, are the beneficiaries of his office. And as we have communion with him, as we live in communion with him, we are named from him. Christ is named Jesus Christ because that is who he is And it describes something of what he does. And we are named Christians because it speaks to who we are in relation to the Christ. Partakers of his anointing. We are Christians. And we are Christians in virtue of Christ and his office. The catechism teaches us, just as the scriptures teach us, that we are partakers of Christ's anointing. But how is that the case? Wasn't Jesus anointed and so set apart to his office an office to which he had been appointed from all eternity? Wasn't he anointed as John the Baptist 
baptized him some 2,000 years ago? How do we become partakers of his anointing? Why would we become partakers of his anointing? Why is this significant? What does it mean for us to share in the anointing of Christ? Well, John answers these questions at least uh, to some extent, answers some of them explicitly, others by way of implication. But the scriptures teach and we believe that these questions concerning our anointing and thus our bearing the name Christian is taught in these scriptures and is for us to seek and to understand. It's precisely what we want to do this evening. And we want to notice three things in particular as we look at how John speaks of this anointing in 1 John chapter 2 and how that's filled out for us across the canon of Holy Scripture and summarized here by the Catechism. What does it mean then to be anointed and to partake of the anointing of Christ? Well, the first thing we need to notice is that this anointing of which John speaks is communicated from Christ. It is a matter of communication, a matter of communion from Christ. And ye, verse 20, have an anointing from the Holy One. Who is the Holy One? The Holy One is the promised Messiah. The Holy One of Israel is the promised Savior and promised mediator who in the fullness of time came into this world and fulfilled his calling, fulfilled his office. The Apostle John uses this title, the Holy One, Not so much in his gospel, but quite frequently in the book of Revelation. The revelation that bears his name as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks of the Holy One quite frequently there. And it is clear that the Holy One is another title given to Christ, given, ascribed to the Lord Jesus as he is the promised king, as he is the real and long-expected king descending from the line of David. He is holy in that he is set apart and he is the one who is anointed as such. The name Holy One, yes, is Messianic, but it is also then Davidic. It is royal. It speaks to Christ's office. And it, yes, too, speaks of the fact that he is the one who is anointed and set apart to be the king who rules 
and reigns over Christ's people. And the anointing that we as Christians have, that we as God's little children have, is an anointing that comes from the anointed king. He, in his mercy and grace, he, according to his own sovereign rule, dispenses, as it were, communicates something of his anointing to us, his people. This is not to say that we share his office per se. It's not to say that we ourselves are little Christs or little mediators. But it is to say that we, in some manner of speaking, have this in common with the only mediator. We have this in common with the great king of the church, that he draws us into fellowship with himself. And drawing us into fellowship with himself shares the spoils of his royal rule, of his royal victory. He shares with us the benefits of his office, the benefits of his work. He even shares with us and communicates to us something of the dignity of his office. And this is rooted in the fact that we who are Christ's have this anointing from him because we are united to him. John speaks here of the fact that we abide in him. In fact, the language of abiding that's used here in John, 1 John chapter 2 is used both in the uh, indicative and in the imperative or with an imperatival sense. He tells us that we are called as Christians to abide in Christ because we as Christians, first of all, do in fact abide in Christ. We have our life in Him, and so we are to live in Him. It's like asking a human to live as a human and not as a beast. You're a Christian. Live as a Christian. What does it mean to to be a Christian? You abide in Christ. What does it mean to abide in Christ? It means that you have come to share in his anointing. He has communicated to you the blessings of what it means for him to be the Christ. What it means for him to be the Holy One. What it means for him to be the prophet, priest, and king of Christ's church. We are united to Christ, and so we share, or he, the head, communicates to his members the blessings 
of his dignity and his office. Indeed, as William Ames points out, everything that Christ does as mediator, he does for us to our good in our name and in some way in our person. Remember even that as we spoke of Christ's anointing, it was a twofold anointing. He is from all eternity appointed to his office, but in the fullness of time, the Son of God incarnate is anointed by the Father with the Holy Spirit above measure, not according to his deity, for as the Son, he has no need for that anointing, but as the Son incarnate, he does. So he's anointed according to his humanity. And as we come to share in his anointing, we recognize that what the Son of God incarnate has come to do and did was for our sakes, in our name, in our very person, in our very flesh. The second Adam came to do what the first Adam had undone and could not do. And he did it for us, for humans, for men and women and boys and girls. And it is his joy and delight as the mediator to act on our behalf and in our person, in our flesh. Ames goes on to point out such is Christ's pleasure towards his own that as much as all his possessions can be, he wishes them to be common to his own. And so he communicates the fruit of his office to us. He communicates it as we have communion and fellowship that is as we are united to him. This anointing then is a matter of communication. We who abide in Christ, we who are united to Christ, share, receive something of his anointing, the blessings and the benefits of his office undertaken for us in our name, in our person, in our very flesh. But there's something more we can say. This anointing anointing is a matter of, in terms of its source, a communication from Christ. But secondly, we ought to notice that it consists of participation in Christ through the Spirit. Verse 20, And ye have an anointing from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Verse 27, And as for you, the anointing which ye received of Him, that is of Christ, abideth in you, and ye need not that anyone 
teach you. Connected to this anointing is the matter of knowledge and instruction. John is here telling them that their anointing from Christ enables them and brings with it as its fruit knowledge. Knowledge such that we do not need another mediator. We do not need one who would put themselves in the place of Christ and actually prove to be anti-Christ. John is not here uh, undercutting what the scriptures elsewhere teach, that Christ himself has appointed uh, ministers to preach and teach the gospel. That even he himself, as an apostle, uh, is one who teaches the things of Christ. John is saying that we have an anointing, that we have such knowledge of Christ, that we do not need someone to come and supplant Christ. Or, as it were, succeed Christ in his office of mediator. Why? Well, because Christ and his anointing is sufficient. Because it is an anointing by which we participate in Christ through the working of the Spirit. That is, we come to participate in the benefits of his office according, or as is appropriate to us, according to our measure as creatures. When he tells us that in virtue of our anointing that we know all things, he is not telling us that we have now in virtue of Christ's anointing us with his spirit, That we now have the knowledge of all things natural, supernatural. Indeed, that we have the knowledge that God himself has of all things. No, the knowledge that we have is a knowledge of the things of Christ. A knowledge of salvation. A knowledge of the realities of who Christ is and who he is as the Son of the Father. John, in the intervening verses between verse 20 and verse 27, speaks of our, or speaks of the fact that we, the things we know are the things of the truth in distinction from the lies that are being peddled by these antichrists, that we have a knowledge of these truths. This truth, in distinction from the one who lies, the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, verse 22. We know that Jesus is the Christ. 
We not only know it intellectually, but we know it, as it were, in the way of faith. We believe that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ, the Son of the living God. We affirm rather than deny the truth of the Father and the Son. We confess the Son. We confess the Father. We confess them in their relation as Father and Son. We confess then that from them we have eternal life, that from the Father the Son has come forth to give us eternal life, and that having received this life, we may be said to abide in Christ and He in us. The things that we know are the things of Christ, the things of the truth of the person and the work, the person and the office of Jesus Christ. And we know these things in virtue of the anointing. We know these things in virtue of the anointing because Christ, even as he was anointed as the chief prophet and teacher of the church, so causes us to participate in that prophetic office. That is, he gives us knowledge in virtue of this anointing. And we could say the same thing with respect to his priestly function and his royal function. We come to participate in And receive then from Christ, according to our measure as creatures, that which is to be found in these particular functions or dignities. William Ames puts it this way. For in a way, they, they who are called Christians, are participants of the prophetic function and dignity inasmuch as they have the Spirit of Christ as it is handed down in Acts 2 and verses 17 and 18, the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost. By this Spirit, they are taught concerning all things, even as we're told here in 1 John, so that in some way they may judge all things. We come to share in the prophetic function and dignity of Jesus Christ. The one who abides in us, we have received an anointing from him. And so we need not, as John says in verse 27, that anyone, that is anyone supplanting Christ as mediator, teach you. But as his anointing teacheth you concerning all things and is true and is no lie. And even as it taught you, ye abide in him. The thing we are taught is that we abide in Jesus Christ. And we are taught this in virtue of our anointing 
by the Spirit with Christ and His knowledge. So we come to be participants, as it were, in the prophetic function and dignity of Christ by way of implication, as Ames makes clear, we who are Christians are made participants of the priestly function and dignity of Christ inasmuch as it is given to them, to us, to offer to God sacrifices and offerings while they offer themselves to God. He reflects here the teaching of the catechism, which we'll get to momentarily. While they dedicate and consecrate all that they can and have to God. And finally, while they perpetually cause the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to ascend in the sight of God. And also they are made participants of the kingly dignity. Inasmuch as they have dominion over themselves by the grace of God, and they are not slaves of this world any longer, but rather of the Lord. And finally, inasmuch as they are heirs of heavenly glory and the right to this glory, and they receive the first fruits even in this life. Even though there's quite a bit of detail in what Ames says and in what the Catechism teaches detail that is found in other parts of the scriptures. The point is, just as John makes it clear that we come to share in the prophetic function and dignity of Christ, so we come to share, as it were, in the priestly and royal functions and dignities of Christ. Indeed, in Christ, have not we become a royal priesthood? 1 Peter chapter 2 And verse 9, haven't we been made kings and priests unto God? John himself teaches us this as he receives this revelation from God himself. He, that is Christ, made us to be a kingdom and to be priests unto his God and Father. Revelation 1 and verse 6. These are not arbitrary titles imposed upon us, but they are names that speak to reality, that reflect what is real of us as we are joined to Jesus Christ. We have come to receive from Christ these very blessings, these very dignities. Not because, again, we are somehow mediators alongside of Christ, but because we are the beneficiaries of his mediation. And so we know all things because the chief prophet of the church has taught us all things. We are sanctified unto God in virtue of the sacrifice of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we may then offer by the Spirit ourselves as living sacrifices unto God. Because we are priests in virtue of Christ's priesthood. And we are kings. Not that we rule autonomously, but that we are able by the grace of Christ through His Spirit to rule our lives, to rule our passions, our affections, and so grow in the grace and in the knowledge 
and in the image of Christ. You see, the same spirit with which Christ was anointed by his Father is the same spirit with which we are anointed. And it is anointing which causes us to abide in Christ and to receive from him as our head every good thing. The knowledge of salvation, the reality of salvation, and life under his sovereign and royal rule. We receive of his prophetic dignity. We receive of his priestly dignity. We receive of his royal dignity. We are participants in Christ through the Spirit. But how, how does this come to be? How do we become Christians? How do we become partakers of his anointing? How do we come to be participants of the dignity of Christ according to our measure as creatures. Well, this all thirdly comes to fruition by faith. This anointing is a communication from Christ. It is a participation in Christ, but it comes to fruition through faith, by believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Through faith, I am a member of Jesus Christ. This in answer to the question, why are you called a Christian? Because through faith, I am a member of Jesus Christ. By believing upon Jesus Christ, you and I become partakers of his anointing. We see this in the text, especially in relation to the fact that our anointing is juxtaposed with the stance of the Antichrist. That is, our anointing produces a true knowledge of Jesus Christ while the one who is Antichrist, who is the liar, denies the truth and the knowledge of Christ. He denies that Jesus is the Christ, while the one who is anointed confesses that Jesus is the Christ, confesses the Son, and so also confesses the Father. We don't deny, but we confess. And what does it mean to confess, but to believe? For even as we confess with our mouths, we believe in our hearts. John here is talking about those who truly believe. He's talking to those to those who truly believe. And he says that you are not as the liar. You are not as the Antichrist. You do not deny that Jesus is the Christ, but you confess the Son, and you confess Him as the Son of the Father. 
And as much as all of that entails a certain specific theological knowledge, that is, a knowledge of Christ's person and a knowledge of Christ's work, do not miss the fact that all of it entails confession, belief, a resting in, or as Ames puts it, a reclining upon Jesus Christ. It's not mere lip service, but it is true and sincere faith in Christ, the Son of the living God. It is a true faith in the one who having come from the Father, the Father says of him in his baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We are anointed through faith. We receive from Christ all of the good things that he has done in the name of sinful men. And even in the flesh of sinful men, we receive these things from him in the way of faith. In the way of looking to him. And trusting that there is no other way to eternal life. Knowing, trusting that He gives eternal life and gives it freely and fully. We who abide in Him, abide in Him through faith. We who are anointed from Him and in Him. We who have received from Him the blessings and the benefits of His office. We who have received from Him as our chief prophet, receive from Him as the great high priest, receive From him as great David's greater son. All of the things of salvation. Indeed life eternal. According to verse 25. We have received all of it. By faith. We do not work. To receive. We do not labor to receive. We do not work to abide. We do not labor to abide. We believe. He said, how how does this happen? How do I know if I believe? Do you confess sincerely from the heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Savior of sinners? That He is the Christ? Who as the only mediator between God and men reconciles men to God and God to men? In answer to these questions you will come to see, come to understand something 
of faith and what it means to believe. And what it means to be a partaker of Christ's anointing. And it is in virtue of this anointing which we receive through faith that we proceed to confess his name that we proceed to present ourselves unto him a living sacrifice of thankfulness, that we proceed in this life to fight against sin and Satan with a free and good conscience, and that we afterwards come to enjoy an everlasting kingdom with Christ. If we had more time, we would give attention to each of these. And yet, what is clear is that in all of this, even as John here tells us that we who have received his anointing abide in him, and so then exhorts us to abide in him in the way of righteousness, it's clear that our entire life as a Christian, from the dawning of faith to the consummation of of faith when we come to enjoy an everlasting kingdom with Christ. All of it is in virtue of Christ. All of it is because by faith we are members of Christ. Partakers of his anointing. This is what it means to be called a Christian. That you belong to Christ because Christ has given you all of the good things, all of the saving things of his office. If we don't understand the language of communication and participation and all of this, understand this. You are a Christian Because you are joined to Christ. And in Christ, you have received everything you need. Everything you need for the beginning of the Christian life, for the middle of the Christian life, for the duration of the Christian life, and even for the end of the Christian life. Everything is found in Jesus Christ. And brethren, isn't that blessed to know? That even in this life, as we are as vulnerable as little children, even as we deal with the reality of antichrist and antichrists, who would deny the truth and who would seek to swallow us up in the same lie that we have a savior, we have a mediator who gives us all things freely. 
and all things that will take us to the very end. Dear Christian, you are a Christian because you abide in Christ and because Christ has made you to abide in him. And so, abide in him. Abide in him. Continue to confess him. Continue to believe the things of the truth. Live in righteousness as those who are begotten of him. So that when he comes again, you will have boldness and will not be ashamed. Instead, you will rejoice. May it be for all of us. May we believe and trust that all things are given us in Christ. And this is why we are called Christians. Let us then, who are called Christians, be Christians.